was thinking about it as we were singing this morning. A year ago, uh, we were on the verge of having our worship gatherings in living rooms a year ago. We were meeting one block down the street in an old gas station that is now Main Street Station uh, Market. Uh, they moved in. We got moved out. And a year ago, right now, we're on the verge of going house to house, worshiping in your living room. It was a game changer for us. To be honest with you, if you're new to us, um, in that season, it was really hard and really frustrating. There's a lot of difficulties in that season. But God moving us out of that gas station was the biggest blessing that we've ever had. And going house to house rejuvenated our passion for what God has called us to. And here we are in this space having conversations concerning our next location already uh, and trying to figure out where God's going to move us and what he wants us to do. We know he's called us to downtown. We're not leaving downtown. We know that. Uh, So the question is, on days like today, you look around and you're like, we could use some room. We could use some room. Uh, So we know that. We're already having conversations, see what God wants to do. All that brings us to this. On your tables... There are white index cards. I need everybody to get one, and I need everybody to get a pen. So if you're sitting next to a table, can you help make sure those get passed out? Everybody gets a pen and a card. Our Sunday mornings around here are fairly interactive, uh, conversational. But actually, this first time, I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud. I'm going to ask you to answer on your card. But I need everybody to be able to do that. We're having a conversation about church, about church, and uh, there's a teaching by a man I've quoted in here before named Simon Sanook, and he, he proposes this, that whether you're a business or an organization or whatever you are, you need to start with why. You need to start with your why. Uh, because so many times we rush into our what and our how, but we don't understand our why. And when we don't understand our why, then our what and our how become so scattered that we don't accomplish our why. So we have to start with why. Why do we exist? Why does the church exist? What, why was it started? Why does it continue to go? So here's, here's my question that I'm going to ask you to write your answer on the card. Okay? You don't have to show it to me. I'm not going to take the card out. This is going to stay in your hand. So be free to be honest with yourself. Okay? I'm not taking, this is not a trick. I'm not going to pull the right. I've done that before. I'm not doing that this time. Okay? So this is yours. Be honest with yourself when I ask you this question. What is the purpose of church? What is the purpose of church? Write whatever you think the purpose of church is. Everybody says you need to go. You feel guilty when you don't go because everybody says you need to go. 
If you're like me, when people tell you you need to do something, but they don't give you a why, then that's just motivation not to do it, right? Because first question always comes out of my mouth is, why, right? You tell me I need to sacrifice my Sunday morning, why? You tell me I need to do this, I need to do it, why? I'm a natural skeptic, and I want to know why. I'll give you just a few more seconds. Some of you write a novel. Either that or you're thinking really hard. <laughs> you guys are so one in your marriage that she can answer for you. <laughs> All right, so any of you guys, uh, strangely enough, at one point in the church's history, City Church, Salt County's history, at one point I was the oldest person in this church, right? So uh, this next reference may be irrelevant to some of you, but to some of you, you raised in the 90s, and you remember Aerosmith, when they were, and I know Aerosmith here, like 90s, that was 70s, so I get that they've had a long career, (laughs) but it was in the 90s that the song came out, something's wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Y'all remember that song? Don't make me sing it because that's the only line I know. Derek, you don't know that song? We're living on the edge. <laughs> Should I do? We're living on the edge. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I can literally just heard an interview and that was, that's, that's like actually. He was trying to have a baby? He was trying to have his last baby. That is living on the edge. Yeah, it's crazy. There's another, anyways, no, I can't go there because i got to stay on topic. So there, the, 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 that song begins, something's wrong with the world today, we don't know what it is. And that was the proclamation that they made at the beginning of that song. So no one disagrees that something is wrong in our world. There's none of you or nobody in the streets that I would say is something wrong in the world. None of you would say, no, everything's perfect, everything's ideal. You would declare something is wrong in our world today. Now, from there, we go a lot of different directions, and uh, many people have many explanations to try to communicate what's wrong with the world. And most people have uh, something. So I want to ask you this. What explanations exist for what's wrong with the world? What are the theories and the explanations and the reasons or the things? When you say, what's wrong with our world today, what do people say? If everybody in the world were less selfish, there'd be world peace and harmony, right? What else? What's wrong with the world today? What are people's theories? Well, those go together, right? Government and greed, maybe, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, inequality of wealth. That actually made my list. Good job, Sam. Did you read my notes? See, when I ask you all these questions, I have a pre-made list just in case y'all don't have an answer. So on those, su- on those Sundays where y'all's conversation skills are really lame, <coughs> I've got a list already made. Uh, so give me a couple more. Most of the most evil, violent wars in world history 
have had a religious connection to them, right? Apathy. Okay. So something's wrong with the world. We all agree. Uh, some people might say, and that goes with wealth, inequality, poverty, hatred. I have disease. Uh, I'm going to write this one down because I think we need to see it. And that's materialism. Do what? Thank you. Came up with it myself. So what happens when you like have an hour to sit and ask yourself this question? You guys have like 30 seconds before I ask you to answer. I realize that's completely not fair, but I like doing that. Um, and one more. Uh, lack of education. These are all just theories. When you ask what's wrong with the world, I think all of these are uh, right there at the top and, and part of the discussion. But the Bible is given, God has given in the Bible his own explanation and solution to resolve what's wrong with the world today. Okay? So this is not something that God is silent about. When we talk about the Bible, it, it, it has its own theory. It has its own explanation. But it's not just an explanation of this is what's wrong, but he also gives a solution. Okay? A lot of us are really good at saying this is what's wrong. If you ever heard it say, don't talk about what's wrong unless you want to bring a solution to the table, right? Because at that point, you're just complaining. But God has given his own explanation through the Bible and not only an explanation, but he's offered a solution. Okay? So very briefly, let me give you a, a quick summary of, of what we believe here. We believe that the opening of the biblical narrative in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, this is where God's story starts, in the opening of the biblical narrative, he declares that humanity is created by God. Humanity created by God in his image. It was good, he declared. He said, let us create man in our image Therefore, he did. He created male and female in his image. And at the end of God's creation, he made a declaration over and over and over and over. It's good. It's good. That was his summary of all that he had created. But now, now we live in a time and a place where that's no longer true. Now, that's what the Bible declared in the first few chapters. But now we live in a place and a time where we say something's wrong and it's no longer good. And why it's no longer good explanation given by the scriptures is this image that we were created in, the image of God, has been marred by sin and unbelief. The image of God that all of us were created in to reflect who he is and to declare who he is that has been marred. We no longer do that effectively. We no longer reflect his goodness. We no longer reflect his character. We no longer reflect his compassion, his love, his grace, his mercy, his holiness. We do not reflect that. Why? Because of sin and unbelief. That has marred the image. It's distorted the image to where we no longer proclaim through our existence what we once did. Right? Because of sin and unbelief. Um, and then the Bible says, because of that, 
because of this, now all creation groans. All creation is groaning in pain and in discomfort. This is the explanation given by God through the scriptures to declare what's wrong with the world today. This is the theory that God presents to us in the scriptures. Humanity created by God in his image, and it was good. Enter into the picture our sin, our rebellion against God, our disobedience against God, and our unbelief. We don't believe we are who he says we are. We don't believe he is who he says he is. We don't believe enough to walk in what he's given us to walk in. And because of that sin and unbelief, that image is now distorted and all creation is affected by it. All of creation is affected by it. And whether or not you believe any of this, whether or not you agree with me in the scriptures on any of that, you agree with this. All creation is groaning under the weight of what's wrong. But the uniqueness of the biblical narrative is this. Here's where the story turns. In Romans chapter 8, if you've got one of those paperback Bibles on our table, Romans 8 is where we're going to spend our time. You can either, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, you can go to the table of contents at the front, or I've given you a cheat sheet to page 642 is where Romans 8 is found. Humanity created by God in his image, it was good. Enter into the picture sin and unbelief through us. And now all creation groans under the weight of what's wrong. And the twist in the biblical narrative is this. Romans 8, 22, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with what? Labor pains, not rains, labor pains. All creation groans together with labor pain. So I have four kids. I somewhat know about labor pain. All you girls are like, you don't know Jack. But I've witnessed it four times. I've witnessed it as an observer four times. And I understand just a little bit of what Paul's talking about in this, this illustration. I understand if you're a mom, you understand more than I do, so I don't try to steal your glory in this moment. But it's hard on a dad in the delivery room, too. I'm just, uh, one time, Shelly was, I think it was her first one. I was like, how are you? Don't ever ask a woman in labor, how are you? That's apparently the wrong question. I almost lost my wife that day. Um, Paul wasn't talking about epidural labor. Like, give me an epidural so that I don't feel the pain. But he's talking about natural birth. The pain of natural birth. All creation groans under the pain of this birth process. With justice, I, th I think it was justice, and I can't remember in my story, I was trying to think about this. Was it you that messed around and didn't get to the hospital, or the doctor that didn't? It was Brent. I don't Shelly, I'm like, you need to go to the hospital. No, babe, no, let's just wait. Because she went early one time and she was embarrassed, and the next time she went late because she was afraid to go early. 
And the problem was when you went late, then you get to the end of your labor and there's a chance, Mike, you can confirm or deny this because you've delivered more babies than I have, but there's a chance that if you get there too late, you no longer get your epidural. And the doctor's like, Shelly, I don't think you're going to have time to get your epidural. You're going to have to do this. And she's like, uh-uh. <laughs> right? That was her vocabulary. But, but she was not happy about that because there's a difference. Epidural delivery and natural birth. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about labor pains. The closest thing I've come to her experience was my appendicitis. When we were first married, I, I, I had stomach pains. I was at work and I started having stomach pains and I, I, made, I was actually working in a hospital on a project and I laid down in the hospital bed until the project was over and my guy could take me home. And he took me home and he dropped me off and I called Shelly, it's like, hey, I'm in really bad pain and she thought it was a man cold. So she stayed at work and said, you need to toughen up. And by the time she got home, my mom found me on the floor of our living room and took me to the ER because I had appendicitis. And I was about to die when it ruptures in my stomach. But she thought it was a man cold. I think women don't understand. They think we're weak, Mark. But really, by the time we complain, it's legit. They think we're weak. They think we're weak. She thought I was overreacting, but I still... I still think she'd have felt bad if I died. <laughs> what? That's what you think, but you don't know what it feels like. So let me ask you this. What is the main difference between labor pain and disease pain? What's the main difference between labor pain and disease pain? Yeah. Labor ends in life. Disease ends in death. Labor ends in life and disease ends in death. Similar pain, completely different outcome. Our hope is this, that though there is groaning, all creation groans together. All creation feels the weight of what's wrong. Though there is groaning, our creator has a way of bringing life out of death. God has a way of bringing life out of death. Something's wrong. We understand that. We agree in that. The question is, is it bringing about death or is it bringing about life? The groaning we all recognize. Our creator has a way of bringing life out of death. It was first Jesus, God's son, was the first one who brought life out of death. They hung him on a cross. They crucified him till he bled out. They pierced him in the side to confirm that he was dead. Then they placed him in a tomb and they sealed the tomb and they guarded it with Roman guards. Make sure his disciples do not steal his body. And Jesus, three days after he was placed in the grave, was brought to life out of death by the power of his father. Jesus was first. And you and I will be last. That out of our death, we will be raised to life for all eternity in the presence of God. Jesus was first. You and I will be last. Jesus was crucified and raised. Crucified 
for our sin. He took that upon himself so that we no longer had to bear the burden of the weight and the, the punishment of it. He, the wages of sin is death. He was crucified for our sin and he was raised for our victory. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Out of death, he brings life. That's what he does. Therefore, look at Romans 8, start in verse 18. Paul says, Therefore, I consider that the suffering of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The suffering that we're experiencing right now is not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Right? Creation eagerly awaits the anticipation for God's son to be revealed. Why? Because it's labor pain not disease pain. I think it's a little bit humorous. Before I had kids, I didn't understand this because I think all babies look funny. True? Amen. Right? What was that movie where the kid like was born old and he got younger? Yeah. So that's like babies. Right? They're young people that look like old people. Right, But the question is, what is the question that everybody wants to know about the baby? Even in the hospital, when the baby's still like red and got the cone head and still looks funny because he's been in the womb for nine months and now here he is or here she is. And like doesn't even look like a person. But then what does everybody want to know when they come visit you in the hospital? Oh, who's he look like? Right? Am I right? Am I right? Mark, how many people asked you that? They look in the... Who does he look like? Well, I hope he don't look like either one of us. <laughs> he looks like the 90-year-old version of me. or I don't know. But who does he look like? You, what is the assumption when you ask that question? He must look like... What? Give me the obvious answer here. He must look like his parents. He must look like one of you. Why? Because he came from one of you. What if your baby looks like the mailman? What's the assumption? <laughs> must be related to the mailman. <laughs> like, we don't look like people just because we're like, see them once a day. We look like people because we are conceived by people. Right, Because we were birthed from people. We are part of these people. So if he looks like me, he must be from me. If he looks like the mailman, he must. Right? Mama needs a day job, so she ain't around when the mailman comes. Huh. Verse 19, he says, Who? He says, We eagerly await the anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Who are... God's sons in verse 19. And how are they revealed? Who are God's sons? Based upon what you just told me from the hospital, who are God's sons? Well, 
those who look like him, those who bear his image. We eagerly await to see which ones bear the image of the Father. All creation is groaning. Man, it's a struggle in this world. Something's broken. Something's wrong. But we don't mourn as if there's death coming. Because as believers in Jesus, we know that out of death, God brings life. And these are not disease pains. These are labor pains. And out of the labor pains, I eagerly anticipate the revealing of God's children. Out of this pain, we're going to see who rises to the top and who bears his image at the end. I can't wait to see who it is. We eagerly await. But even that gets a little bit confusing and a little bit muddy because when it comes to God, there's a variety of views in the world. We talked about that a couple of months ago around here. When we talk about God, who bears the image of God, then everybody's got their own idea of what that would be like, right? Everybody's got their own idea of who God is, what God's like, and what his children would be like. So Jesus brings clarity. Jesus, in case you wonder who God is and what God is like, Jesus said, if you've seen me, that's Jesus, you've seen my Father. That's God. Jesus made that very clear. We eagerly await to see who God's sons are. How do we know who they are? They're the ones that look like him. They reflect his image, his character, who he is. They reflect him to the world. Well, how do we know who God is? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in the struggles of our world, in the labor pains of our life, when things look like they're dying, but we have a God who brings life out of death, we eagerly await to see in the end who becomes like Jesus. Who bears the image of our Father? Who are His children? His children are the ones that out of death, they come to life. As we are made new in the image of Jesus. Okay. So what if this is true? Right? What if this is true? What if your participation in the church, your partnership with the church, what if, what if your participation in the church had the potential of bringing life out of death? That the struggles and the pain and the groaning of this world are not things concluding in a horrific end, but what if the struggles and the groaning of our life are just part of the journey of our labor pains. And being a part of the church allowed you to be a part of that. Um, What if 
your participation in the church had the ability to see those in your home, those in the mirror, brought to life as you bear the image of God? What if your participation in the church had the ability for all of your neighbors and co-workers to experience life out of death? So what if? What if that was the point? What if the church was able to reveal whose image you really bore? Right? In isolation, we can tell ourselves anything we want to hear. But what if your participation in the church had the ability to reveal who you are clearly? Do I carry the image of God or am I walking in some other image? And what if it had the power not just to change your habits, but your DNA? Like when you have something revealed in yourself and you're like, not who I thought I was. Your initial response is, I got to start doing different things. But what if your participation in the church had the opportunity, the potential, the power, not just to help you do different things, but to be a different person? To have your DNA changed to where you're no longer a child of this world, but you're a child of God, of the Father. And you don't just act like Him, you become like Him. What if? What if the church... And you being a part of it had that potential. I want to show you something real quick. We're going to upgrade our whiteboard process too. Because I don't want to erase things. I just want to add stuff. Okay. Why? How? What? Simon Sanook, uh, the guy, you can find him on TED Talks and whatnot, but he draws this, he calls it the golden circle. And in in, you start with the why. And only when you identify the why can you go out and you say how. So the why is the purpose. When I asked you on your card to write down, what is the purpose of the church? Right? Why is the purpose? How is the process. It's the process that allows you to accomplish the purpose. And then the what, that's kind of the programs. So you've got a purpose, a process, and then programs to accomplish that, right? So next week, as we continue this conversation, we're going to start to work our way out. And we'll get into the how, and then we can find ourselves talking about the what. And it's really hard for me not to go there today, but I just want to lay the foundation and say, why? Why? Look at your cards again. You probably know what you already wrote. But in case you forgot, you can revisit your card. Odds are really good that most of you wrote something that would fall into the how or the what. Odds are really good that when I asked you what's the purpose of the church, you told me a how, you told me a a, a process, 
or a utopia what? A program, something we do. Okay? But we want to first identify why the church exists. What is the purpose of the church? Because here's what happens. When you start without the why, when you start without that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to become frustrated with unmet expectations. You're going to be really frustrated at some point. If you're starting with the process or the program, what is the purpose of the church? To feed the hungry. And then we don't feed the hungry as much as you think we should, then you're going to be frustrated with unmet expectations, right? Or if the purpose of the church is the process of making disciples, and we don't do that the way you think that needs to be done, then you're going to be frustrated with unmet expectations, right? If we're not clothing as many of those who don't have clothes as, as you want to clothe, then you're going to be frustrated because that's the program. That's the what. Or the how. The, if we don't preach the way you want to be preached to, that's the process, right? Then unmet expectations cross frustration. I found that out in marriage. Right? Or what you're going to do, if you bypass the why and go to the how and the what, you're going to shortchange the process. You're just going to shortchange it. Why? Because you're going to get caught up in doing things. You're going to be doing things, doing, 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 and eventually you're going to be weary of doing, and you're not going to know why your schedule's so busy. Right? Dang, I spent all the time doing church stuff. Why are you doing that? I don't know. Somebody told me I should. Right? And you just shortchange the potential of the process. So for those reasons, we start with the why. And what is the why? Labor pains. Remaking God's image. Revealing His children. Life from death. This is the why of the church. The church is God's chosen way of reproducing His image around this globe. In the beginning with Adam and Eve, he said, go have babies, fill the world with my image. Well, they turned against him, they sinned, there was rebellion and sin and unbelief. And his image was marred and we just filled the world anyways. But now in the church, he has said once again to fill the world with his image. Reproduce, reveal who his sons are. We, we exist as God's instrument to bring life out of death. He's using us to turn disease pain into labor pain. That it's not pointless anymore. It's not hopeless anymore. He's, he's bringing life out of death. He wants to use the church. He's chosen to use the church to be life givers in the world. Those who reproduce his image in the world that his sons and daughters might be revealed, that we might 
changed not just what we do, but who we are by the power of the good news of Jesus. These things become reality. He's chosen to do this through the church, and he doesn't have a plan B. We are are not here to fix a broken world. The church is not here to fix a broken world. We are here bringing life from death by pointing each other and others to our Father. Okay? We're not here to fix broken world. We are here to bring life out of death by pointing you back to your Father so that you might be made new in His image again. That's why we exist. That's our purpose. That's our why. That's it. So let me ask you one last question. How has your understanding of the church caused you frustration or shortchanged your experience to this point, right? Because if you started with a how or a what, how has that caused you, if your card represented a how or a what, can you answer, how, how has that caused a little frustration, a little tension in your life, or shortchanged your experience with the church to this point? Anybody got a reflection on that? It's the same thing in the corporate world that when you begin with a what or a how, then you expect accolades and raises and positions. You expect to be able to move up the ladder. But when your purpose is not to point to your own self and your own actions, but point to the Father so that my friends and my neighbors and my family can be made new again, becoming children of God, made in His image. It's not about my position and my accolades and my credit. It's not about that. But when you start with a what or a how, you're going to get frustrated when you don't get that credit. What else? How's your understanding frustrated or shortchanged your experience with church? I think a lot of us, I mean, even 
well-meaning parents. We're like, we're just, this is what we do as parents. We, we go to church and we want to get our children in the church, but sometimes it just causes, when our children don't understand a why, then it causes weariness and frustration. Right. Anybody else? Just what happens when we skip the why? Not that, it, and, and that's not a, a criticism of any church or what any church does, because the action is right. Yeah. But that's what happens when you miss the why. We don't even know how do we measure whether it succeeded or not. How do we? How do we know? Right. Last question: How might your expectations shift as we continue this series? And as you continue to be a participant in the church, how can you shift your expectations to be more in line with why the church exists? Right? What, what needs to shift in your thinking? What needs to shift in your mentality? Got anything? the whole church is just pointing each other and other to the Father? What if that was our only agenda? Joe, don't, don't notice me. Don't notice me. Draw your attention to our Heavenly Father because when you notice me, you're not going to become any more like Jesus by looking at me. You're going to become more like Jesus by going near to our Father. Right? Just there is no position that wants to draw attention. There is no program that wants to draw attention. We want every position, every program, every action, every thought to be captivating to others to look at our Father. Because it's in our Father that things that are dead are brought to life. It's in our Father that death comes to life. Okay. I feel like I'm cheating you because we haven't got to the why, I mean to the how and the what. But I think that's our nature. We just, what do I got to do? Yeah, that's cool to talk about why, but what do I got to do? What do I got to do? Well, you need to understand the why, right? I need to understand the why. Before we do anything, we got to understand why, and we got to find rest and peace in that, because otherwise we're just going to be weary in our doing. 
So let's just settle in for a while. So let's conclude with this last thought that Shelly just drew to mind. When all the disease pains, when all the pains and the groaning of disease, everything that we described earlier, when all of that falls under the good news of Jesus, then exactly what Shelly just said happens then the pain that we experience in this world is not going to immediately subside. But what's going to happen as you find yourself gazing at your father, pointing yourself and others to him, then what's going to happen is the pain is not going to be the cause of your death, but the pain is going to be the cause of your life. That the materialism is going to be stripped away as you experience that pain and you're pointed your attention at our Heavenly Father. Then that materialism is going to be stripped away through the pain and it's going to bring life. And that selfishness will be stripped away and it's going to bring life. And the, the, the oppression or whatever it is of the government is not going to have authority over you. It's going to bring life. Your greed will be stripped away, replaced with life. Inequality replaced with life. Your religion and all your good deeds that you think appease God will be removed and replaced with life. When these things fall under the good news of Jesus, that's what's going to happen. These are not diseases that are bringing an end to the things. These are labor pains as you are made new in the image of God and brought from death to life. You're going to be new. You're going to be whole. These things will not be the end of you. They will not be the definition of you. They will bring about birth because they're only labor pains. They're only labor pains. Mike, will you close us in a word of prayer this morning?